I'm Julie Rose, and this is Top of Mind. I have been a radio journalist for two decades, but a few years ago, I found myself avoiding the news for long stretches because of how depressing and divisive it all seems. I still wanted to be informed and engaged on important issues, though, and I figured I couldn't be alone in that. So we created this podcast. Each week, we tackle one tough topic in a way that will challenge you, help you feel more empathy, and empower you to become a better citizen, a kinder neighbor, and a more effective advocate. Today, another conversation in our Stick With It series. Being able to stay open and curious, to stick with the discomfort that is natural when we're confronted with a challenging perspective, turns out to be really important in breaking free of the polarization that plagues our society right now. All season long here on Top of Mind, we've practiced staying curious when faced with challenging perspectives on a range of topics, including gun violence, pollution, marijuana laws, the asylum system, to name just a few. And we supplement that with these stick-with-it conversations where we hear what staying curious in the face of challenging perspectives can look like in daily life. Today, Emily Bell McCormick is in the stick-with-it seat, and I am so glad to have her. Emily, welcome. Thanks for taking time today. Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here. Now, you are the founder of The Policy Project. Can you give us a quick overview? What, what, are, you, what are you up to? So The Policy Project, we're just a 501c3 nonprofit And our focus is that we believe that policy has the ability to scale good, very wide and very fast. So we essentially use policy, specifically government policy, as well as business and home policy. There are a lot of different kinds of policies in order to do good. So we look for like healthy, moderate, thoughtful policy that has a really good trajectory for the future of our children. Now, I know from your uh, active Instagram presence that you just finished a sprint, maybe more of a marathon experience um, during the 45 days that the Utah legislature, which is where you're, you're, you are, that the Utah legislature was in session. And, and you actually had some pretty important victories for the policy project. Do you want to just summarize that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. It is an it is an absolute mad time in Utah because it's only six weeks here. It's a very short legislative session. And we work specifically, we have a couple different projects that we're working on right now. One of them is called the Teen Center Project. So um, the idea here is that we would bring resources, like much needed resources into high schools where we have a teenage population that is struggling with mental health issues, with homelessness. And that's kind of like a big issue in the state of Utah. So we're bringing in showers and washers and dryers and a trusted adult who can really help these kids connect to outside resources. So we got um, $18 million in funding from the legislature and from private donors to start that in the state of Utah, which is really cool and very exciting. We see that having a great trajectory toward increasing graduation and really helping kids like launch into adulthood. Um, And then the other project is one that's near and dear to my heart and the way that I got started in all this work, and that is the period project. And um, we've worked to get period products into every single K through 12 girls in all gender bathroom in the state of Utah. Um, and, And that's a huge win. So they're freely available now in every elementary and junior high and high school. And then we've also worked with the governor to get uh, free period products into state buildings. So a lot of 
cool work around menstruation in the state of Utah. And that is actually the topic that is going to be at the heart of your Stick With It story that you're going to share with us. And I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, so so what do we need to know about, uh, before we head, you know, talk about the moment that came for you where you realized you needed to actually stay curious about a perspective you disagreed with? So as I started looking at, you know, menstruation in the U.S., there were a couple things like, Period products were taxed. Girls really needed them in schools. Eight in 10 girls were missing class because they did not have period products. That's a crazy number. And one in four of our teenagers were are unable to afford period products. So every single month, even though you have this like super normal, very natural biological um, happening, these girls, every time they had that, they're like hitting the panic button and either not going to school or they're using products in an unsafe way that's causing infection or something else. You know, there are a few different policy issues that really needed to be impacted. Um, But looking at how it had been handled, some states, including the state of Utah, had had previous bills around something to do with menstruation. But when you looked at the history around it, no one in specifically the Utah state legislature where I lived had ever said the word uh, period had ever said the word menstruation, had ever said tampon or pad, even though they're talking about some of these issues um, in this specific case around what we call the tampon tax, which is just taking off uh, the sales tax off of tampons, just like we do with uh, other uh, medically necessary products. So um, looking at that, you realize that there was this big uh, stigma and big hesitation, so much so that there were committees where it was entirely these these legislative committees made of entirely men who never actually mentioned any of those words, but who held the bills so that these bills were not able to get through, but they're also not saying any of the words that describe what the bills were actually about, which was periods or menstruation. Did, you, did that make you mad? Yeah, of course, that is like everything inside me, it like starts triggering like, blah, I can't even handle that they're not actually addressing the issue. And they're clearly not Like they're clearly not understanding how insanely important this is to the functioning of girls and women. And girls and women don't have to participate in any special activity to have periods, right? Like you just have to grow up. That's all you have to do and you get a period. And so then to have these like policies brushed aside when we're at the same time putting in place a million other policies. Yes, that was that's like a very infuriating feeling. Mm. So this is where the um, the decision to choose something other than get defensive <laughs> comes into play here, right? Because I right. guess I guess you're thinking, all right, I'm you know, on the one hand, you could make a lot of assumptions about these men in you know in the in the in power with who are not acting and not even saying the words, um, but you chose a different way. You chose to sort of lean into. Um, th- this perspective that really bugged you. <laughs> what was the next step for you, your your choice to stick with it? I just quickly made an assumption that there's no way that um, these people who are making these decisions for our state um, have the full story here. Because if they had the full story, no one would decide that this was like an inappropriate thing to legislate around, right? Mm-hmm. I was able, and I naturally saw this as like a statewide issue and a public health issue. And I could see that the way that it was being dealt with was like, this is private, it's inappropriate, it has to do with sexuality. Um, and and so we're just like not gonna talk about it. It's mm-hmm. not appropriate for the public forum. 
And so as I started into some of these um, conversations, I'll never forget this one um, moment talking to a legislator who I really like. I, I love him. He's 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 got a great heart and he's a good person. Um, and he was kind of one of the first people that was willing to talk to me about this. I tried a few and some were just like, no, no, like, you know, not interested. It's not going to move in Utah. We don't do these kinds of issues in Utah. And every time they say that, I'd be like, okay, what kind of an issue is this? Because it's a public health issue, you know? Um, but as I, I went one day and to meet with this legislator and I was in his office, I was there with him and a friend who was uh, also a man who was a lobbyist. And so we were sitting together and I was sitting on his couch and I said, you know, I was kind of explaining this is why this is so, this is why period policy or menstrual policy is so, so important to the state of Utah because it impacts workforce, it impacts public health, you know, kind of going through the big story of, of, of why um, we should really legislate around this. And he, for a moment, and again, giving him some grace, was like, you know, I just don't know that it needs to be policy. This feels like something people really should be handling privately because it's kind of a private matter. And I said, you know, it would be a private matter. But if I started my period right now as we were talking, I would bleed on your couch. It would be inappropriate for me to stay in this room. I would need to go to the bathroom and take care of it. And I could tell that both he and and the other man that was in the room were were first of all like, oh, please stop. That's like so awkward and so inappropriate. Don't say that here. But in that moment, what I realized and through a few other conversations with some legislators is that some men did not have the knowledge that periods were spontaneous. You kind of know generally the time of the month it's gonna start, but you don't know exactly when. And so what I realized is that with a lot of men, they, they understood that periods existed. You know, a lot of these men had had babies and, you know, they, they knew a lot of things about periods, but what they didn't know is that it was spontaneous and that we cannot predict to the second when it's going to happen. So to them, a lack of period products looked like a lack of preparedness. And that was a really interesting thing for me to understand. So it, it totally changed my messaging and my narrative. Anytime after that, when I approached a male legislator or someone who had power or a donor or, you know, like all of these different audiences, I then knew that something that I could do for them right off the bat was say, oh, well, you know, they're spontaneous, like bloody noses. I mean, I know you know that, but it's been interesting because some men haven't known that. And every time you can tell they're kind of like looking side to side, like laughing, like, oh yeah, I totally knew that. You know, like I, I absolutely knew that. But I think the way that like that one particular conversation strengthened our ability to advocate for this was that all of a sudden when this is, you know, when you're thinking of menstruation more like a bloody nose, like not going to continue this podcast if my nose starts bleeding. I'm going to take a quick break, take care of it, and then I'll come back and finish this. And so I think what that did was allow for some understanding from a group of people that naturally just didn't understand that, right? Yeah, specifically, I see. I could see how that was a really important thing to realize in order to help them understand why it would be important for state funds to be used on putting, um, you know, pads and tampons, menstrual products in bathrooms in public places, you know, as a as an emergency kind of situation, um, right. so that so that women are able to continue on with their lives when they're caught unawares, and that it's not their 
fault necessarily that they, you know, exactly. that they like failed yeah. to plan or anticipate their need in any specific moment. That's, and I love how you said, Emily, um, that you decided when you realized that this was a pretty widespread misunderstanding and that people needed to get it in order to support what you were trying to do, that your approach was to like not come in and be like, sh- and try to shame them. Like, well, do you know? Or, um, or like lecture them somehow. Right. It was like, most people don't know. And I bet you, you know, but you're just like, yeah. And by the way, ha ha ha. And I'm sure you know, right? Like that's, I mean, that's brilliant because it gives them an easy out to sort of not have to admit anything. Right. Were there any other misconceptions that you were able to learn about and, and overcome as a result of, you know, choosing to listen with curiosity and compassion rather than get defensive? Yeah, no, there were, there were about a million, so I won't (laughs) name them all, but, uh, but yeah, I would say, you know, having to do with that spontaneous nature was just, you know, the mis the natural misconception with that was that just like you can hold number one or number two, the thought was that you could hold menstruation, right? That, that there was a belief that you, you could hold that. And so that meant then that people who believed that women know exactly when it's going to start and then when it starts, they can hold it until they're able to get to a restroom, that that creates a, a, yeah, I mean, I could see where if you believed that, then it would be like, why do we need to create, you know, laws around this? Because we don't have laws about, you know— doing the other stuff you need to do in the bathroom. Yes, like if you accidentally wet your pants in a business meeting or in a classroom, we don't have a law saying that we have to provide, you know... Clean underwear or whatever it it is that you would need in a case like that. But the second that you realize, like, and you can understand where that misconception comes from because all human, you know, humans generally have this ability to hold number one or number two. And so you think this periods are, we generalize that into like bathroom needs. And so... You can see that's a very natural tie. So it's funny because when I talk to women about this and like, oh, men didn't, or not men, it's not all men, but some men didn't realize that you could hold, you could not hold a period. Women are like, oh my gosh, that is crazy. It is. I mean, I have to admit that I, uh, I'm holding in my shock here that anyone would believe that, but, (laughs) but I guess I could also, I mean, I could also kind of see how you might think that if you'd never experienced it and how much miscommunication can happen. Oh. Right? Like if oh, I'm a yeah, person because... that believes you can hold it, then I would be really annoyed at a woman <laughs> if she's like having to interrupt something to go deal with, uh, you know, changing a period product or something. And I'm like, why don't you just hold it till we're done having this conversation? Right? <laughs> like I would be super annoyed at women if that's what I believed was exactly. possible. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you think of how ludicrous it sounds if like, you know, right now I'm like, oh, Julie, hang one second. I just peed my pants. It sounds so <laughs> irresponsible. Like, Emily, why didn't you just use the bathroom before you got on the call, you know, yeah. like clearly I'm going to accommodate, like make accommodations to make sure I don't go number one or number two. Um, and so I do think that although, you know, again, men who had been exposed to having children, being married, like participating in intimacy, all of those things, like they, the, as a woman, you're not necessarily saying like, oh, hey, hon, did you know you can't hold your period? And also it's spontaneous. And da, 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 da. you know, we're not like going down this checklist of like, what things should I inform my husband about? You know, so I think it really did create a big misunderstanding. And then as soon as they could understand it, and, and it is more effective to use humor when you can. Can you imagine having had any amount of success that you've had without having figured that out and overcome those barriers. 
You know, um, it would have been a lot harder. I think there's some people um, in Utah, our, our state um, is a conservative state. We've got, you know, uh, a heavily conservative legislature and some and some of them naturally just understand it. They they've got it. They get it. That's it. And some don't. Right. Like that's it, it just it's all over the place. And so I think what needed to happen was to bring like the humanity back into the idea of periods and menstruation. Um, and so in order to do that, we did need to be able to understand where those like um, where those like hesitation points were. And and so as soon as we were able to say that a period product is more like toilet paper and we as a, you know, as a nation and as a state and as businesses and as a community, we provide toilet paper in all of our bathrooms. It is just something that happens in the U.S., right? Um, and uh, and it's actually legislated. OSHA says that we have to have, you know, toilet paper and hands up and paper towels and all the things in the bathroom. And so as soon as we were able to say, listen, period products are more like toilet paper than they are like the extra pair of underwear if you peed your pants, right? As soon as we could say like, this is more just fundamentally necessary in order to like return to whatever activity you're engaged in at the time. So in our case, we're talking about classrooms. Now we're working on workspaces, right? Like that's a necessary thing. So to make that argument, we did have to really kind of understand that and be able to talk about it openly and allow for that to be a natural part of the conversation. One of the things I'm always asking is like, what was the result <laughs> of your decision to stick with, you know, the discomfort or lean into this thing that you really disagreed with or didn't understand? Um, and it's just very obvious in this case that it made it so that you were able to get these laws passed in a, uh, right. among, uh, you know, in a legislature where people had initially wanted to tell you that they weren't interested and turned you away. And by the end of it, they must have... I mean, they must have seen you come in and been like, oh, great, it's the period lady again. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. watch out. <laughs> exactly. We do joke that it was like, ha like you know, obviously more than half are like, this is actually a great idea. I totally get it. Public health, all the things. And then the other half were like, oh, my gosh, if she makes me talk about periods one more time, I'm done. Yeah, they're just like, we're just going to pass this. I'm just going to vote for this so I don't have to hear her talk to me about this again. Exactly. It's such a great story. And, it, and the fact that this was second nature to you um, really just makes clear to me how, how born you were to be an advocate like this. It's super inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing this story, Emily. Oh, thank you, Julie. Really appreciate it. Emily Bell McCormick is founder of The Policy Project. You can find them at thepolicyproject.org. Okay, so now it's your turn. We have heard so many great stick with it stories this season on Top of Mind. People in different ways in their personal and professional lives encountering a perspective, a situation that challenged their way of seeing things made them uncomfortable, and instead of getting defensive or shutting down, they stayed curious in that discomfort. They stuck with it and got to some really cool places, but fundamentally did what we're all about here at Top of Mind, which is becoming a better citizen, a kinder neighbor, and a more effective advocate. So tell me your stick with it story. Email topofmind at byu.edu and we'll be in touch. You can tell your story on the podcast. I'm Julie Rose. We'll talk soon. Mm -hmm.